0: With no paddle, no aliens
1: to battle, where we want to go. Without being pompous, we don't need map or compass. We're launching Wampus on our new travel show. Space crew, Tom's only go with us. Space crew, Tom's on our podcast bus.
2: Space crew, Tom's we see you're us. And in space, no one can hear you scream. Loopy from our
3: earworm, Space Shandy. Hello Space Scrutonians. To recap, Curtis and Joe are still incapacitated. The mystery man we encountered on Poi is still uncooperative. And I am hosting the show today along with Jim Bowtie.
2: Nodded and ready, Sally.
3: And of course Spug is here as well.
2: Let's do this.
3: With everything that has happened, we hesitated to continue the podcast. But after careful examination and much discussion, we decided the stakes are too high to quit now.
2: Oh, come on. Let's get right to today's show. It's another report from Pete, and I have a hunch it's a big one. Relax, bug. We'll get to it. When? Don't you realize how dangerous things are right now? Maybe Pete has the answers we need and are just sitting here making small talk. We should have listened to it already if you asked me.
3: I understand your anxiousness, but we received it just before the podcast began and protocols must be followed. To stay on the air, we need to play a commercial from today's sponsor.
2: Forget protocol. Commercials are a big waste of time. Bug, calm down. Of course we want to hear the story, but it's you that's wasting time by continuing to argue about everything.
3: Correct, Jimbo. We would already be through half the commercial if Bug stopped interrupting.
2: Listen here, you son of a bit rot.
3: And stopped with the name calling.
2: Your motherboard was a fax machine.
3: And stopped insulting my lineage.
2: Go defract yourself. Bug, enough. We know you're frustrated, but you're not helping. Sally, how about playing the commercial?
3: Here, listeners, is a word from our sponsor, EverClean.
0: Tired of the drudgery of keeping your house spotless and orderly? Bored with chores like dusting and mopping? Ready to scream into that smudgy mirror that just seems to collect smears and streaks? Well, scream no more. Try Everclean to wipe away that messy, muddy, murky malaise. That's right, thanks to advances in time manipulation, Everclean has developed an ingenious process to clean your home just once and you'll never have to clean again. How, do you ask? Easy! Our patented algorithmic multiverse program links all moments in time to the very second after we've made your diamond style spick and spare. That means it always stays neat, tidy, scrubbed and immaculate, dust-free and fresh as a daisy for all time. And the best part? Should there ever be spills or stains or other dirt and debris-causing activity, our algorithm instantly resets your home back to its purest form, and all the uncleanness just disappears. So, try EverClean today to make the filth in your home a thing of the past. Forever!
1: EverClean is a monthly subscription contract. Failure to make monthly payments will result in cancellation of the service, resulting in any and all accumulated debtors returned to the property and piled in the middle of your living room. Everclean is a subsidiary of Bedsford
3: Biotech Industries.
2: There, are you happy now? You played your stupid commercial. Now get to Pete. I wonder. Wonder what, Sally?
3: I wonder if Everclean might get rid of pests like Bug?
2: And stick it in your ram cell. Please, you two. I know things look bleak right now. But going at each other won't do anyone any good. We owe it to Curdy and Joe and all the worlds that are dealing with Eternity to move forward and find a way back. Now, as you said, Bug, if Pete's story can get us to a solution, then let's listen and learn what he has to say.
3: Agreed, Jimbo. The exchange of barbs with Bug will have to wait. Okay, Pawdience, here is Pete's fourth installment of his time travel adventures, Becoming Amphibidextrous.
4: Let's get one thing straight right from the get-go. Don't call me Ishmael. I hated that book, and no matter how many parallels you think you see to Moby Dick, this isn't that whale of a tale. I'm Pete, and I'm back to tell you more of my story about what happened after the well of hell. At least, it was after the well of hell in my timeline. Not sure about your timeline, or anyone else's, for that matter. Regardless, If you recall, I was hanging out and breathing just fine in a liquid darkness where I had a chance to think about everything and decide what to do. Of course, you clever folks already knew what I would decide. I mean, if I took all those other trips, of course I would agree to help with the mission before me. But it still took a while to wrap my head around it, and in the moment when I was ready to say the words, I was suddenly blinded by light from somewhere above me. As it turned out, the liquid darkness was actually the inside of a large, deep isolation tank set up in a back room of peer portals for Mere Mortals Travel Agency. And the light poured in as Besford opened the lid. And uh, welcome back, Mr. Moseley. I trust that after your
1: exciting excursion to the W of H, you have been able to decompress, convalesce, and reinvest yourself with the gumption to carry on with the
4: task before you. Allow me. He offered his hand and helped me out of the tank and onto a spongy floor mat next to a towel rack holding a toasty warm terraclop bath sheet, which I wrapped around my once again unclothed self. You know what, Bev's old chum? I just don't even care about the clothes anymore. (laughs) Not to worry, sir, as the next leg of your trip will be somewhat
1: wetter. A more appropriate ensemble awaits you in the changing room. But for the
4: moment, please wear these. He pointed to a worn shirt and a pair of work pants wadded up on the seat of a nearby chair. Underneath was a pair of dusty construction boots, you can't be serious. Why would I want to put these on? Ah, alas, these would not be my choice either. But
1: it is what your young female travel companion chose for your PP for MM complimentary itineranical souvenir photo.
4: Itiner what? <sighs> Don't you people ever read the fine print?
1: Contract. Page N42, subsection A B negative, paragraph six of one half a dozen of the other, and I quote: "Included in the purchase of the Super Deluxe Lifetime's Excursion Package is one keepsake photograph, dressed in any timey costuming of your choice. If traveling as a group, the costuming will be chosen by the first to arrive for the photo session." And, since she arrived first, she chose costuming from the great Chicago Fire 1871 collection.
4: Carmen is here?
1: Where? They all are. Get dressed and I'll take you to them.
4: I did, and then he did. Carmen was sitting on the sofa from the picture on page 117, wearing her outfit, while Sergey and Gregor stood off to one side, talking softly. They all turned their gaze to me as I hurried into the room, hugs and smiles all around until...
1: All right. All right, all. You've seen the picture. Get into place and let's get this done.
4: One light flash and camera click later, and the photo that brought me to all of this was done. And we ran through the plan one more time. We have worked out the coordinates of what we believe to be the prime
5: location to place the Follux. It will put our transmitter closest to the edge of just liquid atmosphere, giving us the optimum chance of sending out the energy wave. Great. The bad news is that we know very little about what that area of the planet is like. Think of it like an underwater mountain peak, and the surface of the water is actually the edge of their atmosphere. We don't know anything about currents, water pressure, the population there, or the wildlife. And with the Rebellion, you might be seen as an enemy combatant. So we don't know what kind of danger
4: you might find yourself facing. An underwater mountaintop in the middle of a war? Sounds like fun. So what do I do when I reach the place? How does this
5: phallax work? It's fairly simple. When you reach the coordinates, there's an anchoring device which you'll use to attach the phallax to the mountaintop. Make sure the stem is pointed down so the phallax bloom is floating up and open spaceward. The angle is very important. If the trajectory is a right, the energy wave may not be powerful enough to make it through their H2O zone layer. Turning the stem at the bottom of the follux counterclockwise will anchor it and activate the energy wave.
3: The nearest destination transportal on the water planet is about three Earth miles from the mountaintop. You'll have to swim from there. The good news is that the peak should be easy to spot, and no matter what stroke you use, it's got to be easier than climbing a mountain, right? Activate the follox, swim three miles back, and push the button on your GPS when you're ready, and we'll bring you home.
5: How many chances do I get to get it right? Just the one, I'm afraid. Once the follox is open and the energy wave activated, we won't be able to re aim or recapture it.
4: You cannot reclose the follox. One more question. Where is the follox? I haven't seen it since I got back from Bouvet Island.
1: Oh that's my department.
4: Come with me. My backpack which I thought I lost when I went to the Well of Hell, was actually stashed in a locker in the changing room. Of course you didn't lose it. You
1: just didn't have it yet for your leg of the journey. do try to keep your memories in
4: proper order. I changed into the more appropriate ensemble, consisting of a waterproof jumpsuit, gloves, and web-toed swim shoes, lighter in weight and less bulky than regular scuba gear. Just call me Aquaman, I whispered to myself. Before I knew it, it was time to go.
5: Good luck, my friend. We're counting on you. Pete, I wish I was the one who could breathe in water so I could go instead of you, but each must be
4: satisfied with his role in life. Know that we are proud of you. Carmen hugged me again and then slipped a folded piece of paper from her pocket into the front zippered compartment of my backpack as I was checking for the fifth time to make sure the follics was still there.
3: Don't think about reading it now. You're going to be too busy. Read it after.
4: If there is an after... I shook my head as I pulled the pack over my shoulder.
3: Oh, you worry too much.
4: She chuckled, then stuffed her hands into her pockets and joined Sergey and Gregor once again on the tattered sofa as Besford came back into view with the rolling pot, upon which sat a galvanized steel washtub. And in the washtub... Several apples were floating, bobbing up and down and creating ripples as he stopped in front of me. You've got to be kidding. It's a
1: festive occasion, and nothing says party like Roberting for Red Delicious. Go ahead.
4: Out of habit, I took a deep breath and heard everyone
1: laugh.
4: (laughs) Right, I don't need to do that, do I? I looked down into the tub and plunged my face, and then... Nothing happened. I just looked around at the apple bottoms dancing along the water's surface. Pulling my head up, I sputtered. What's wrong? Why am I still here? Don't you know the rules? To play the game
1: correctly, you have to grab an apple with your tea. Right.
4: So now
1: it's a challenge. It's like my pater used to say. Anything worthwhile that you choose to do is always a challenge. Now, try again,
3: please.
4: To punctuate the end of his sentence, he pushed my face back into the tub, and with three quick bites I snagged one around the stem, and I was pulled in and through the transportal. Before I could blink, I was spinning around as I was pulled down and spat out at the bottom of what I can only describe as an underwater cyclone. It took me a moment to get my bearings as I reminded myself I could breathe. I looked in what I thought was an upward direction where I detected sunlight, then down, No view of the bottom, only darkness. Thankfully, the water was clear, so I immediately tried to identify anything looking like a mountain in the distance. When I peered around the still-swirling transportal, I locked onto my target destination. The peak rose another couple of thousand feet above my current spot, reflecting the light from above. I was thankful that to get up there, all I had to do was swim for the top, ...kind of like a condor flying to its nest high in the Andes. I checked to make sure the backpack was secure around my shoulders... ...checked behind me for any movement that might signal I was not alone... ...activated the GPS on my wristband... ...and headed out. The Disis Sea... ...is it considered a sea if it covers the entire planet? ...was comfortable yet coolish temp ...and I found it easy to maintain strong, consistent strokes... After 30 minutes or so, I paused to rest. I could see that I was significantly closer to my destination and had yet to encounter any other life forms. I noticed that I could now see bottom terrain a thousand feet below, and the light from above was brighter, indicating I was swimming closer to the surface of the planet's atmosphere. Dude, you're killing it. It just can't get any better than this, I thought. Time for some calm. At that moment, a huge shadow passed above me, heading in the same general direction as me, and I immediately became aware of how small and exposed I was out here all alone. I looked up to see a creature resembling some kind of lizard, thirty feet or more in length, with a series of seven fins on each side propelling it through the water, even though I could not tell if it had eyes like earth creatures. I froze, not wanting to draw its attention. And thankfully, it continued on its way with no indication it was aware of my presence.
1: That would be a moloch. It's harmless and boring.
4: Then how about... As I stretched out to continue my swim, I felt a massive vibration rumble from below as a dark mass ten times the size of the water lizard stretched up from the ocean floor and snatched it and then recoiled and both the mass and the lizard were gone. Okay, Pete... Time to swim.
5: Ooh, grimling coral. Apex predator loves the taste of mark. That should raise his heart rate. Ha
4: ha ha. The next 45 minutes alternated between steady strokes and constant glances down, trying to see if there were any more hungry mouths looking for a tiny half-human morsel to satisfy their appetite. The peak was closer than ever, and the sea floor was now an incline in front of me. Ah. Uh he's close enough now that we need to raise the stakes. The water currents are building and a violet web of murkiness is floating up from below. What could that be? Not the green diamond laser again. Bend there, done that. This is better. A millipus. Ten minutes? Twenty, maybe, and I would be there. I began running over the instructions again in my mind, and it was about then that I noticed a purplish, inky residue rising from below me, floating and displacing the water as it snaked all around me. As I continued to swim, my strokes began churning and emulsifying the residue, spreading into a purple water cloud that was making it more difficult to see anything, including my target destination. Swim up, I thought. Try not to make any big movements. Keep the water calm.
1: Isn't he a clever man?
4: We'll see about that. Roll, Clyde, roll. Oh, a two. Drat! With care, I was barely staying above the purple cloud and inching closer to the peak. It was then I began to feel strange little taps against the bottom of my left foot. I reflexively shook it. But then, concerned I would disturb the inky stain around me, I relaxed, ignoring the taps, and kept rising.
5: MISTAKE!
4: I sucked in water involuntarily as I was jerked back down into the purple, my left ankle tightly wrapped by something muscular and powerful. In just a few seconds I had passed through the cloud and could see a sea of tentacle-like appendages stretching from countless openings in the sea floor. It was one of them that had my leg in its grip.
1: All right, let's see how to escape, how to
4: escape. I know. How about he reaches into the backpack, takes out Carmen's letter, opens it, and lets it drop to the ocean floor, thus distracting the millipus, who loves to read, ever since it began finding and collecting messages in bottles, causing it to release his foot with no
1: further injury. You've got to be kidding.
5: I don't know. Reading is fundamental, even for (sighs) Millipod.
1: Point
0: taken. It's up to you, Dungeon Master.
4: All right, you can try it. But that will need a 13 or higher. And he then places the Follix and activates the energy wave without further interference. That's asking a lot.
0: But I'm ready for a break anyway. I concur.
5: Me free. Pass the onion dip.
4: Okay, fine. But that will take a roll of twenty to be successful. Ooh. Never happen. We'll just see. And here is where it gets strange. As I fumbled to take my backpack off and unzip it in hopes that the gun Carmen had given me just might fire underwater, her letter floated out and unfolded itself as it settled to the bottom near one of the openings. Almost immediately, the nearest appendage grabbed it, and all the tentacles shot back down and out of sight.
3: Huzzah!
4: I am happy to say that the rest of my swim went smoothly, as did the deployment of the follocks and my return to the transportal a couple of hours later. Whether or not the energy wave is successful in creating a healing of planets and the reversing of eternity, it's too soon to say. But that's a job for Carmen, Gregor, and Sergei. The next thing I knew, I found myself sitting in a beach view hot tub on the 10th floor of the Waikiki Hilton, a nice glass of sangria sweating drops of water down its stem, and I'm finally enjoying a vacation from my vacation
3: and that faithful listeners is a story we were hoping for. Pete has successfully completed his mission. We also heard that the mysterious gamers appear to have had a hand in Pete's adventure and we are accumulating more evidence which we anticipate can be used to counter their interference and get back control of our destinies if we can locate them. And finally, from the details in the story I can conclude that it was Carmen and one of her cohorts that we encountered on Poi. Carmen took the energy wave and we've got either Gregor or Sergey with us.
2: We need to question him. We need to know if eternity is reversing. And they may be able to help us figure out what we can do to bring back Joe and Curdy.
3: I concur. After the podcast we will set a course of action. But first, let us say farewell once again to our listeners who have stayed with us through thick and thin, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health until transportals do us part. Stay strong folks and keep peace in your hearts until our next story time. So when we leave the
2: station for each time of-
1: Scrutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode story by Jeff. Original music by Jeff. Production by Patsy Puckett, John, Jerry, and Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Barry Shea, Patsy Puckett, Paul Strickland, John, Jerry, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2021 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Goodwitch Audio Production.